0: This episode is made possible with the support from our sponsor, Vodafone America's Foundation. Vodafone America's Foundation mobilizes partners from all sectors to empower women and girls through technology, as well as support social justice projects.
1: Not only was the Instagram account the culprit of the severe cyberbullying, but It was also numerous death threats that I was on the receiving end of, both on social media and even on email. At this point, I was terrified to go into the building every single day that I was walking into an environment where I didn't know who was behind any of these instances, any of the emails or the social media accounts or the posts And it could have been the person sitting next to me in English class. It could have been the person walking behind me in the hallway. So it just was this constant level of fear and terror. And as you can imagine, that is not a way to live.
0: Brandon Farbstein, then a student in Richmond, Virginia, looked for help. He approached both the administration at his high school and the police. The administration
1: said that there was nothing that they could do. They claimed that their hands were tied when it wasn't happening inside the building and it was happening outside of school hours and on social media. And when we were dealing with the police and the district attorneys and people that were trying to, quote unquote, help us, so we thought. It was very unfortunate that we kept hitting brick wall after brick wall. And the rationale was that they did nothing to break the law, even though my life was being threatened and I was being told to kill myself and all of these things. Yet they were somehow able to get around all of these loopholes and the legislation that was lacking was the reason behind that.
0: This is Finding Humanity, and I'm your host, Hazami Bermada. Through personal stories of courage and purpose, our podcast puts a human face on the most critical social justice and human rights issues facing our world. In each episode, we aim to educate and inspire to take action. And together, to help create a better world. When Brandon Farbstein was two years old, he was diagnosed with a rare form of dwarfism called metatropic dysplasia. There are less than a hundred cases of this disease reported in scientific literature.
1: It comes with a life of uncertainty not knowing what the next period of my life is going to look like or how my mobility will be like has always been a source of definitely some fear and anxiety, but it's something that I've learned to deal with just as part of my life on a daily basis. And so I used to truly think that my difference was my downfall and the reason why I stood out from everybody else for all the wrong reasons. And to be quite honest, I felt invisible for the first 15 years of my life, even though I was pointed at and stared at, and people would constantly laugh at me and take pictures wherever I went in public. Because how often do you see somebody who is three foot nine?
0: When Brandon was eight, life became even more challenging. He went through an especially complex surgery to fix his bow-legged figure. Doctors had to break his bones and insert metal hardware. Brennan was on a wheelchair for five months, unable to move his legs.
1: And, of course, how could I not feel different? I was out of school. I had a home tutor that would come to me once a week. And it really was a point in my life where... I appreciated being different because I liked the love and I appreciated the support that I received at the time, but I hated everything else that came with it. And I started really having a lot of anger and resentment towards myself, the world around me, my condition, God. And I wanted nothing more than to be like everybody else and to not deal with the things that I would have to deal with, whether it was having pain in my joints on a daily basis or the pointing and the bullying and whatever it was, the constant physical and emotional turmoil. I just wanted to escape from
0: that. When Brandon was about 11 years old, He was on the verge of ending his life.
1: I got home from school one day. I said to my mom, I hate this. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to live and I'm going to kill myself. And I went up to my room and slammed my door and really was seconds away from that when my mom was the one who physically
0: stopped me. Brandon's suicide attempt was partially influenced by the bullying he'd experienced. A 2019 UN study found that almost one in three students globally is bullied in any given month. Although there are differences in how bullying manifests in regions, physical bullying is the most common and sexual bullying is the second most common type of bullying. In North America and Europe, however, psychological bullying is the most common. The U.N. report notes that children who are perceived different in any way are more likely to be bullied. Physical appearance is the most common cause, followed by race, nationality, and color.
2: Bullying has serious effects that can last a lifetime in terms of the mental health and overall well-being of young people who are involved in any way.
0: That's Ellie Stout, director of the Suicide Prevention Resource Center. Bullying can have a lasting impact on a child's mental health. Research has tied bullying to low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, family problems, academic difficulties, delinquency, school violence, self-harm, and lastly, suicidal thoughts and attempts. Ellie notes that in the US, youth who report any involvement with bullying are more likely to also report high levels of suicide-related behavior.
2: And I think this is the interesting thing about the connection with suicide is the fact that both bullies and kids who are bullied are both at higher risk for suicide. I think moving upstream and thinking about these complex factors that might be influencing the bullying behavior and the suicide risk, what kind of emotional distress are those kids going through? What is going on at home? Is there violence? Are there relationship problems? Are they experiencing some kind of learning difference or physical disability where they're not getting resources that they need and so they're in turn trying to make themselves feel better by, you know, picking on somebody else?
0: Even though bullying and suicide are somewhat related, Ellie warns that this relationship is complex.
2: Bullying does not cause suicide. It's one of those stressors that can make that glass overflow. But most kids who are bullied do not die by suicide. And so I think for young people who are struggling, we don't want to weave that narrative of, you know, bullying, of course, leads to suicide, because that makes it feel like a more acceptable option when we know there are other options.
0: Bullying is only one of the factors that can influence suicide. Other risk factors include mental health issues like depression and anxiety. In the U.S., from the year 2000 to 2017,
2: youth suicide rates have increased 56%. The global context is a little bit different. Not every country in the world has seen increasing rates overall the way the United States has. But um, many industrialized countries are also seeing a rise in youth suicides, even in cases where the overall suicide trend is downward.
0: Luckily, Brandon didn't become part of those statistics. Through processing his own experience, he was able to find the support he needed.
1: When I was able to finally recognize through the professional help that I started receiving that I wasn't alone in going through something, that whether it was hyper-visible, like me, when you have dwarfism, you can't hide your difference, or if it's invisible, like something that you're dealing with mentally or emotionally that somebody can't see, at every stage of life, the truth of the matter is we are all going through something. And the more that I started realizing that, that I wasn't alone, I wasn't so isolated, And maybe people can't relate to being three foot nine, but maybe they could relate to feeling alone or feeling unworthy or unlovable, whatever the things are that we as human beings all feel from time to time. We're all going through something. We're all dealing with adversity and challenges on a day-to-day basis, but it doesn't mean we should try and act like life is perfect, or we should try and act like things don't affect us when they do, putting on a facade or a plastic face, acting like we're fine when the truth is we're not.
0: With this new outlook on life, Brandon decided to take his destiny into his own hands. He met with his orthopedic specialist looking for solutions to improve his well-being.
1: I was explaining to him how difficult it was for me to be an active 14-year-old trying to keep up with my friends at the mall or going out with my family on a Sunday afternoon trying to walk a few city blocks was near impossible. And I looked for a solution. And his answer to me at the time was two things, either a wheelchair or a motorized scooter. And I said, but I have use of my legs. I I have the ability to walk Why would I put myself in a place where I'm not going to make use of my legs anymore? Or not only that, but I'm going to have to look up at people more than I have to already, being three foot nine. And I had to come up with a different solution. Brandon had a light bulb moment. I said to my parents, how cool would it be to use a Segway as a mobility device? And at the time, in 2015, this was not a common item that was used for mobility at all. It was known for being a toy for rich people.
0: For that reason, the Segway was expensive. Brandon's family didn't have the money to pay for it. But he didn't let that stop him.
1: I said, what if I make use of social media and... At the time, I didn't know it was called crowdfunding or crowdsourcing, bringing all these people together and asking them, even if they can't contribute $5 to this Help Brad Move fund, if they could maybe share the video or share a Facebook post or share an article and have that be the currency to get the word out and the awareness. And from that, it grew into a movement in
0: itself. Apart from getting himself a segue through the support of strangers, he was able to create awareness around mobility innovation and the type of disability that he had.
1: When I was two, I was diagnosed with an extremely rare form of dwarfism, metatropic dysplasia. When people see me for the first time, they stare, they laugh, they take pictures. Others are curious
0: in two thousand and fifteen. Brandon, Brandon gave a TED talk about this experience. He was only fifteen years old. in the past,
1: my story and and my dwarfism and all the things that I was going to be sharing brought me really nothing but pain and I didn't know if this was going to be any different, but I went for it, and truly, it was six minutes that I was Brandon for the first time. And I wasn't a character. I didn't have to try and be somebody that I wasn't. And that not only was the very first talk that I gave, but it was the very first time that I decided to share my story and be open and vulnerable. And that moment turned into the rest of my life. It was then that I discovered my why and my purpose, and that truly began everything for me. Having a story and having a way of sharing it with people that moved them to better themselves, that moved them to take some sort of positive action
0: in their own life. Brandon found his calling in public speaking. He now shares his story with various audiences, ranging from teenagers to corporate executives.
1: The universal message that I share, I think resonates with people because we are all have these differences and these things that we may be ashamed of or we don't fully embrace or we don't love in the way that we should. And no matter where we are in life or what we're trying to accomplish there are always things that get in the way. And it's incredibly vital to constantly have perspectives and really widen the lens through which you see the world around you and your own self through getting past the negative thoughts or stories that we're telling ourselves on a daily basis. And what it's shown me is that Again, you may not know what it's like to be three foot nine or what it's like to deal with the exact set of issues that I personally deal with, nor do I know what it's like to be in your shoes and deal with your life as it is. But that's where empathy comes in. If we could learn to have empathy for not only each other, but for ourselves, and we could really practice Being kind and empower ourselves on a daily basis, it makes the world of a difference.
0: This episode is made possible with the support from our sponsor, Vodafone Americas Foundation. Vodafone Americas Foundation invests into programs that create opportunities for women and girls to learn new skills, sustain their interests in technology, and allow them to thrive and excel. The organization supports advocacy and gender work for women in and through technology to elevate women's voices and create positive and sustainable change within their communities around the world. The organization also supports equality and social justice projects. To learn more about the foundation's programs and how you can support their network of partners, please visit Vodafone-US.com. The link is in our show notes. Brandon made incredible progress in accepting himself and teaching others to do the same. But he continued to deal with bullying, this time online.
1: I was relentlessly cyberbullied on social media by the peers at my high school starting the very first week of my freshman year. It went from a video that was posted on Twitter of me on my Segway mobility device in the hall at my high school saying, first person to punt the midget off the Segway gets $5. And it basically escalated from that point up until it reached a breaking point midway through my junior year, when I discovered yet another new Instagram account that was made for the sole purpose of harassing and degrading me, saying that I should have been gassed in the gas chambers because I'm Jewish saying that I'm the ugliest thing that they've ever seen and I should just kill myself because nobody's ever going to love me. Just truly some of the most horrific things that you could say to another human being. So not only was the Instagram account the culprit of the severe cyberbullying, but it was also numerous death threats that I was on the receiving end of, both on social media
0: and even on email. The school administration said that there was nothing they could do about bullying because it was happening outside of school hours and on social media. I spoke to Elon Mazel to further understand what the law has to say about bullying. Elon is a partner at a leading civil rights litigation firm in the United States.
3: Well, bullying is usually not a legal term. Harassment on the basis of A, B, or C is usually the legal term. You know, we do need to distinguish between the ordinary and the truly damaging when there's a power imbalance, when there is repeated teasing or bullying or harassment. But as a threshold matter, it, it needs to be severe or pervasive. Let's just take the example of uh, harassment on the basis of let's say race or ethnicity or sex. So what your typical federal judge will write an opinion is, is it uh, severe and pervasive? Did the school have notice? And was the school deliberately indifferent in its response? Meaning, uh, was their response so weak that it allowed the harassment or bullying to continue? And when those things are all true, the school is itself liable for the bullying.
0: However, Ilan warns that cyberbullying presents its own kind of challenges.
3: Well, there are two aspects of online bullying that make it very difficult to tackle. The first is that it often is anonymous and it can be very difficult for a school to root out the culprit or the culprits and take action. So that's the first issue. The second is that by its nature, it is pervasive. An anonymous post can be shared with hundreds or thousands of people. And that can create a horrible effect that's much worse than just one or two kids in school. Now you go to school and you have A, no idea who's been bullying you. And B, for all you know, every single person you see in that hallway or in that classroom has been sharing that post. And that just makes it devastating.
0: Despite these challenges, schools have a role to play in stopping cyberbullying.
3: School should have the legal authority to take action. Just because you're not on school grounds, just because you're not writing something on a wall instead you're writing it on a virtual wall, shouldn't make any difference. So as a legal matter, schools should be responsible for dealing with this issue. As a technological matter, it's a challenge. Because as I mentioned, it's not always easy to know who the harasser is.
0: In Brandon's case, they were never able to identify the bullies who terrorized him.
1: At this point, I was terrified to go into the building every single day that I was walking into an environment where... I didn't know who was behind any of these instances, any of the emails or the social media accounts or the posts, and it could have been the person sitting next to me in English class. It could have been the person walking behind me in the hallway. So it just was this constant level of fear and terror, and as you can imagine, that is not a way to live.
0: Brandon had no option but to stop attending school and to continue his studies online.
1: At this time, the laws that were in Virginia where I grew up were definitely lacking in terms of technology, social media, and cyberbullying as a whole. And I realized after I went through that experience that hurt people hurt people. And until that cycle is stopped, until somebody is able to step in and really address the root cause of why this behavior is going on in the first place, yes, they need to be reprimanded and they need to be held accountable for their actions. But we also need to be talking about why this is happening and the mental health epidemic and the complete lack of empathy because it's not being taught. It's not being modeled.
0: To change this, Brandon took action. He testified at the Virginia General Assembly multiple times, sharing his experiences of being bullied. Before the age of 18, he helped two pieces of legislation get signed into law. One
1: requiring school administration to alert parents within
0: five days of an
1: active investigation, just making sure that families are kept in the loop. But one that I'm especially proud of that requires empathy to be taught in the public school curriculum starting in kindergarten and building every single year from that until they graduate high school. So in every public school classroom in Virginia there is now actively education on emotional intelligence, boundaries, how to treat somebody with kindness and what it looks like to be an empathetic person. And these things that Some people are born naturally with, but others have to hone in on it and develop it. And it's through that education in the childhood development years, in my opinion, that's how we could ensure somebody is on the right path, that we don't have to deal with them being a bully. We don't have to deal with them using social media to tell somebody else to kill themselves.
0: Experts like Ilan agree that the focus should be on prevention.
3: There should be mandatory training of uh, teachers and administrators. It should be a mandatory part of the curriculum that there is an anti-harassment, anti-bullying curriculum. Parents should know there should be reporting requirements so parents know what's happening to their kids. Kids often don't report bullying. I mean, many of the clients they've had over the years did not tell their parents for years, if ever, about horrific experiences. And so you can't always rely on your kid to tell you, sometimes you need the school to tell you. Um, So training, reporting, every state should do that.
0: While Brandon's story is based in the United States, some countries are even further behind and do not yet have supportive legal and policy frameworks or structures to allow for efficient reporting. Laws on bullying also vary in different countries depending on the specific cultural context. India, for example, has very specific laws against ragging, which is a form of structured bullying that an entire class of college seniors participate in against freshmen. But 84% of Indian students don't complain about it because they see it as a necessary rite of passage. What's clear is that better leadership and community approaches are needed to end this epidemic. Elon stresses that it often starts with adults who are role models to children.
3: I think number one is we need to set the right tone as adults and as leaders and as parents because kids aren't born as racists. You know, they aren't born hating people of certain faiths. That doesn't just happen by itself. You have to be carefully taught. And so we need to teach kids to be good, kind, empathetic
0: people. School districts play a critical role in addressing bullying and suicide prevention. But the responsibility goes far beyond these entities.
2: There are ways to prevent a lot of the distress that young people are going through right now. That's Ellie again. If we intervene earlier in life and in a more environmental, sort of community oriented way to um, keep youth feeling supported and safe and make sure they are trusted adults and opportunities for them to find meaning in life, find hope for the future. These are things that are really important. We really need comprehensive community initiatives where we're bringing together the settings where people live and work and pray and play and learn and looking at what role each of those systems can play in sort of building stronger, more connected communities, helping kids build life skills and hope for the future. But also importantly, noticing when people are struggling and being able to connect them to supports that are gonna help them. And so modeling community connections and hope for the future and changing the kind of environment we're creating And everyone's stepping up. It's not just up to schools, it's up to parents, it's up to communities of faith, it's up to also the investments that we make. Like, schools don't have a lot of resources, their teachers have to teach to the test, and there's not a lot going on to ask kids, How are you, and what's going on for you? While we still
0: have a long way to go in implementing proper legislation to address bullying, there are some reasons to think that we are going in the right direction.
3: We are in a better place in many ways than 30, 40 years ago. We recognize the issue in a way that we didn't a generation ago. And sometimes you need to recognize and understand a problem before you can tackle it. So it's some, from a 20,000 foot perspective, I do see some improvement. That's the good news. The bad news is our online world can make pulling much worse and create its own challenges that no one had you know, a generation ago. But I, I guess I see hope because you know, judges have kids, juries have kids. Our legal system understands that something needs to be done and our legal system is slowly adapting to addressing the challenge.
0: The high prevalence of mobile device ownership and social media use among young people has exposed them to new avenues for bullying. In a 2018 study, the Pew Research Center found that 59% of U.S. teens have been bullied or harassed online. Cyberbullying is unique because it's persistent, permanent, and hard to notice by parents and teachers. But social media is also a powerful tool for people to find support and community. Brandon uses it to raise awareness about bullying and disability. Social media,
1: what we have to remember is a tool. And it can be used on both levels to enhance somebody's life and change it for the better, but also be what stops them in their tracks and what damages them to the point of not being fixed. I think it's incredibly vital to just also recognize that you aren't alone in what you're going through and you may not feel Like, you have somebody there for you right now. But that's where social media comes in. That's where technology is such a gift. Because there are so many millions of people that you could be connecting to that have a like-minded way of seeing things or have similar interests, things that you have in common.
0: Brandon did more than overcome bullying. He built a life around sharing his story to inspire others
1: waking up in a world that isn't built for somebody like me. I could either say to myself, I'm three foot nine, I'm smaller than everybody else, I don't look like everybody else, I get stared up. You know, All the things that are going wrong, everything that is negative and painful that I could complain about. Or I could say, yes, I'm dealing with things. I'm under stress, I'm under adversity, that's life. But what can I do with what I've been given? How can I serve as best I possibly can with the life that I have right now? Because truly, we don't need to be anybody else than who we already are right here and right now in order to have profound change and leave an impact on the world that is so much bigger than us. And I think that's what it's all about, being the most genuine version of who we are every single day. And not only embracing that, but using that so that not only we could give ourselves the greatest possible life with true fulfillment and happiness, but we can also serve and better the world through what we've been given. At 20 years old, I've got to say, I can't imagine seeing myself doing anything differently with my life right now and i'm incredibly blessed that at a young age i have a mission that i fall back on every single day and it keeps me going right now i will continue changing the world both on stage and online as well
0: is something that impacts us and those that we love almost daily. Our social media feeds, entertainment, and politics are sadly increasingly full of animosity, unkind words, slander, and name-calling. We hope that this episode gave you insight into the long-lasting impacts of bullying on our youth and society. We all have a responsibility and a role to play in helping ensure that we create safe spaces free of judgment, hate, and discrimination of all types. If you're being bullied, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We need to do better to end the culture that pushes people to the brink of suicide. Through our podcast, we aim to educate and inspire you to take action around global issues. And we would love to invite you to join our global movement. There are many ways to take action. Here are just a few. Speak out against bullying if you come across it online or on your social media. Take a stand against hate and hate speech, even if it doesn't impact you directly. Use your voice to push for laws and legislation that focus on ending cyberbullying. Invest into education against bullying and increase support for mental health services. And lastly, Contribute your time and online presence to being an advocate to inspire empathy, kindness, love, and compassion. You have the power to inspire real change. To learn more about this episode, check out the links to resources on our show notes and on our website, findinghumanitypodcast.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you enjoyed Finding Humanity, please share it and leave us a review. To learn more about topics on our podcast and other opportunities to engage with us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at find underscore humanity and on Facebook at Finding Humanity Podcast. In our podcast, we cover pressing and at times controversial social and political issues. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers, or any affiliated organizations. Finding Humanity is a joint production of the Humanity Lab Foundation and Human Group Media. This season is made possible in part by our collaborating partner, The Elders. While this podcast series is produced in collaboration with our partner, The Elders did not exercise any editorial discretion on this episode. Our executive producer is Camille Lorente. Associate producer is Fernanda Oriegas. Assistant producer is Diana Galbraith. Associate Production, Policy, and Research by Martina Vanat, Aisha Amin, and Carolina Mendica. Mixing, Editing, and Music by Maverick Aquino. For this episode, I'd like to thank our experts, Ellie Stout and Elon Mazel. We would also like to thank our partner for this episode, Vodafone America's Foundation. I'm your host, Hazami Bermada. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.